You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. Today is our great pleasure to host uh, Alexander Kondakov, who uh, is here thanks to the generous grant that we received from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, so my thanks to CCNY for that and the Wisconsin Russia Project. And uh, Alexander, he's a, he's a sociologist, he has a PhD in sociologist, and he's also assistant professor in the Department of Political Science and Sociology at University, European University of St. Petersburg. And he's also an affiliate researcher with the Center for Independent Social Research in St. Petersburg. And he's also deputy editor-in-chief of the Journal of Social Policy Studies, which is published by the Higher School of Economics in Moscow. And for the last decade, Alexander's work has been focused mainly on law and sexuality and uh, queer sexualities in Russia. He's the author of a report on hate crimes against queers, a part of which has been used, presented to the US Congress. And um, he's also published his work in the journals Sexualities, Social and Legal Studies, and Feminist Legal Studies. And today he's going to talk to us about hate crimes against LGBT people in Russia. So please welcome Alexander. Thank you. Thank you all for coming, and thank you for hosting this uh, lecture to, to Greek or this talk. Uh, I, I guess I have at least two different purposes in the, uh, in, the, in the talk that I'm going to give today. First of all, I, I, I want to summarize my previous research related to hate crimes or on, on, on hate crimes in Russia uh, and uh, give you kind of overview of what's been done in, uh, in this particular direction before. Uh, and uh, the, the second purpose or aim of the, of the talk would be to uh, kind of outline uh, possible directions of uh, the further research, because I've, well, managed to collect a lot of interesting data that I'm going to talk about, and uh, it's just, well, important to uh, give it another round of thought. Right, so uh, this is uh, what I'm going to do. But first of all, uh, uh, let me start with uh, the uh, with the hate crime uh, research that I've been doing. And the rationale behind this research was uh, definitely 2013 uh, bill on uh, propaganda of homosexuality in Russia. Right, you probably heard it. And uh, I will not give you a lot of details of what that particular piece of legislation entailed, but I uh, just want to briefly uh, hint on, on how we could uh, read and understand yeah, the, the, the uh, violence against gay people related to that particular legislation. And let me start with uh, uh, this guy. His <laughs> uh, rationale behind behind the law. So, defending uh, the law on uh, propaganda, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, 
president of Russia and uh, I guess uh, the future president of Russia <laughs> also uh, said, and I quote here, uh, we do not have a ban of non-traditional forms of sexual interaction between people. We have a ban against propaganda of homosexuality and pedophilia among minors, which is not true, actually. We don't have ban of uh, propaganda of pedophilia among minors. These are absolutely different things. One is a ban of certain actions or relations, and another one is a ban against propaganda of these relations. We do not prohibit anyone, anything. We do not grab people on the streets. We do not have any sort of criminal consequences for such relationships, contrary to other countries in the world, and meaning uh, Texas or Arizona, for example. So you can feel yourself peaceful and comfortable here. He invites you to come to Russia. But just leave the kids alone, please. Right? So uh, what these, uh, these thinking implies is that that law on propaganda of homosexuality in Russia uh, is basically nothing. It's not a big deal, right? Uh, they, well, it's, it's true that it's a censorship law, so it's, it, it, it doesn't target people, right? Nobody can be uh, put into prison for propagating homosexuality or, or uh, as the guy says, it grabbed on the street. Uh, but uh, yet, uh, law, yeah, the uh, legislation does have various consequences apart from what the text of the law says. And this is why I have become interested in tracking or tracing those particular consequences that are not probably uh, in the design of the law or of the legal norm itself. Yeah, but that can still influence our societies. Once the law is there, it, it, in, in the society, it affects somehow our relations, the relations between people. And so I thought that probably uh, a piece of legislation that is uh, basically uh, a promotion of hatred and violence might somehow influence the uh, level of violence in uh, Russia, the level of violence against LGBT people there. Uh, so uh, I uh, gathered a team of scholars to join me in this endeavor and explore uh, how uh, the, uh, uh, the, number, the rate, number of hate crimes against LGBT persons in Russia um, changed after the uh, adoption of the propaganda law. Yeah. So uh, these are the people who helped me. And uh, what basically we've been doing is looking for, uh, for hate crimes right, in Russia, for any uh, statistical information on, uh, on the hate crimes against gay people, gays and lesbians in Russia. And we applied this very simple definition. So I, I think there are three crucial elements to the definition. First of all, the action itself should be a violation of criminal law. Right? Uh, then the action, the second element, is that it should be uh, motivated by certain bias, right? by, by bias uh, expressed 
in different ways. For example, hatred, right? Some, some kind of strong uh, feelings. And the third element that the bias should be associated with the victim's sexuality, the queer uh, sexuality in, in, uh, in this case. So uh, this is the definition that we applied. And uh, first of all, we wanted to take some kind of official statistics of hate crimes against uh, LGBT people in Russia. Right? Th this could be possible because actually uh, in Russia we have a very uh, well-developed uh, legislation related to, to hate crimes. For example, in the criminal code of the Russian Federation, uh, we have Article 30, uh, 63. Uh, which is, uh, well, which can be used by judges to uh, regard hatred as an aggravating circumstance of any felony. Right? And the article reads that commitment of a crime motivated by political, ideological, racial, ethnic, or religious hatred, or by hatred towards any one social group, is. Uh, a big deal, right? This is an aggravating circumstance of any crime. And uh, as you see, sexuality is not here, <coughs> right? It's, uh, it's not listed in this uh, sequence of different uh, biases of different, um, uh, uh, of different features uh, that can ignite hatred in, in, in some people. But there is uh, this notion of social <coughs> group and uh, generally, it's thought that uh, LGBT community can fall under the notion of social group, right? And I will uh, show you later that actually it, it's happening sometimes, but in very few cases. Uh, more or less, the same wording is also included in other criminal code uh, articles uh, on murder, on physical harm, on harm to society, uh, which is, for example, uh, hooliganism, right? So if you remember a case uh, of a pussy riot, they were uh, condemned, they were convicted for hooliganism, and uh, that paragraph on, uh, on hate crime uh, was part of the, of the conviction uh, because they expressed uh, hatred towards anyone, social group, and the social group was orthodox believers. Right? So, uh, they, uh, their their uh, crime was uh, aggravated by, by this, uh, by, by the hate towards social group. Finally, we have hate speech. Uh, the thing is that uh, officially uh, the information on how these articles are applied is not generalized anywhere. Nobody collects that kind of information and uh, uh, more specifically, uh, nobody collects the information related to hate towards LGBT community. So we had to uh, do it on our own. So what we have done was uh, generation of our own data. Luckily, in Russia, we have two huge sor uh, sources of information on uh, court decisions, sentences, for example, right? This is a, an official state digital system, Pravasudya, justice, 
that publishes in open access all core decisions, or not all, but many core decisions uh, from all over Russia. Yeah. And an independent database, uh, Russian justice, Rosprava uh, which is the same thing, but collected by lawyers, right? It's it's a, it's an unofficial uh, database for for core decisions. So using uh, uh, keywords, we uh, downloaded all uh, core decisions related to uh, LGBT issues and LGBT topics. So I had uh, a lot of different keywords. Uh, uh, non-traditional, uh, excluding non-traditional oil extraction, but uh, <laughs> still, right? And uh, then uh, gay and lesbian pedrast. I had everything there, right? So that uh, all the uh, cases were uh, to make sure that all the cases are uh, captured and captivated. Uh, as a result, I had uh, 1,500 uh, cases related to LGBT from both databases. So uh, those are unique cases. So these 1,500 do not uh, repeat those 1,500 cases. So it, in overall, it's uh, 3,000 cases related to uh, LGBT, but related in different sense. Uh, only some of them, as you see, I had to read all of them to uh, find out which ones uh, relate uh, or uh, which ones are cases on hate crime, right? So uh, uh, as a result, I have 267 uh, cases of hate crimes, and all the rest are different cases of other stuff, like uh, the propaganda law, for example, is there. Or one of the most uh, common thing that is brought in front of the court <coughs> is when someone calls a policeman uh, a person of non-traditional sexual orientation, and the policeman f uh, sues the uh, the person. Right, so a thousand of those cases are related only to to the police. Uh, as for hate crimes, so uh, uh, from 2010 to 2016, I have 267, and uh, 2016 is still incomplete. Was incomplete at that time. Now I'm. Uh, updating the database to include 2016, but I will mostly talk about 2010-2015 today. Okay. Uh, so uh, here are uh, the cases, and uh, I want to show you that those cases come not from every region in Russia, but from most of them. Right? Uh, 64 regions do have cases on hate crime against uh, LGBT people. It doesn't mean that uh, other regions, like Murmansk uh, Oblast, for example, or uh, Republic of Chechnya, are uh, paradise for gay people. Uh. This is not what I imply. Uh, it means that judges there, that uh, law enforcement there, do not articulate queer sexuality in the documents. Right. So I cannot. Uh, identify those cases. I cannot uh, identify those files because uh, sexuality there is uh, not speakable. It's not spoken. It's not articulated in the texts. Right? 
and uh, I will probably not go into details on, on the on the language that uh, judges and, and law enforcement uses, but it's interesting to see how, uh, in some cases, uh, judges escape to uh, pronounce homosexuality, and this is a, a limitation of this particular uh, <coughs> research. But still, uh, there is some data, uh, and uh, uh, I want to show you how I identified that uh, queer, that homosexuality is there in those cases. Right? So first of all, uh, an example of a case that I did not include into the database, right? And I will show, uh, I will read it to you first. So the court denies the version of the defense that the victim threatened by commitment of actions of sexual character towards the accused by Zhenimaev. Because according to witness testimonies by MP and BV, the victim did not have any expressions of non-traditional sexual orientation. He was characterized positively enjoyed authority and respect among his colleagues and sportsmen. He was married and had children. And when drinking alcohol, he acted calmly. Right? So here we have a very particular, quite simple uh, definition of heterosexuality. Right? Uh, heterosexuals uh, are enjoy authority among sportsmen, for example, <laughs> which uh, uh, gay people do not. Uh, gay men cannot be married and have children, well, legally they can't in Russia, that's true, but uh, anyway, there might be um, deviations. And uh, when, uh, when heterosexuals drink alcohol, they're very calm. <laughs> yes, uh, queer people, usually uh, act uh, more, let's say, vividly to, uh, to alcoholic intoxication. So uh, I had to believe to the judge, right, and say, okay, uh, there is nothing about homosexuality in that case and exclude it from my hate crime uh, database, right? Here we deal with a heterosexual person. Uh, yet, there are other cases, and here, uh, <coughs> in this case, I will again read it to you first. So, in mid-February, the accused uh, Torakov drove a car with registration, which he used to deliver taxi services. And he met the victim, P1, to whom he gave his phone number. P1 occasionally texted to Torakov and informed him about his non-traditional sexual orientation, because of which Torakov developed unpleasant feelings towards P1. On date, certain date at 6 p.m., Torahov was in his apartment where he acted out of unpleasant feelings to P1 and plotted his criminal plan to openly take away P1's money. In order to realize this criminal plan, he took P1 to a parking lot, opened the back door of his car, and while standing beside that door and holding a metal stick, he requested P1 to give him all his money threatening with application of physical violence. Right? So here, uh, the victim's homosexuality is part of the case. It's there, right? Uh, so this P1 uh, texted to Torahov, hey, Torahov, I'm a person of non-traditional sexual orientation. 
uh, of course it wasn't like that, but uh, the judge implies, uh, I, I think, that people do not communicate in this way and, uh, uh, in, in Krasnoyarsk, but I don't know. And uh, it's not that judge somehow uh, gave some importance to that information, but it's there, right? So uh, I include this case as a, uh, as a case of biased um, criminal offense. Uh, finally, sexuality is uh, actively scrutinized, studied by, by, by a judge, right? Like in this case. The accused is Midlaev uh, intentionally committed light damage to health that caused short-term upset of health and it was motivated by hatred towards any one social group. The crime was committed in the following circumstances. On the 21st of June, 2011, about 11 p.m., name one and himself were standing near a certain address where they met the victim, name two, who, as he knew, was a person of non-traditional sexual orientation, a homosexual. <laughs> because of this, Ismidlaev started to plot a criminal action directed to cause damage of health to name two. The court reviewed testimony of the victim, name two, who stated that he had been a person of non-traditional sexual orientation since he was 20. He had entered in sexual intercourse with other men as a passive partner. He did this voluntarily. So here, the court paid very particular attention to the victim's uh, homosexuality, right? And again, applied a very simplistic definition of that sexuality. Heterosexuals are so good, they uh, drink and act uh, calmly, but uh, homosexuals are these. They become homosexual at, at the age of 20, more or less. Right? We don't know exactly, but this one became at the age of 20. And it's important that uh, they become homosexuals after 18, right? they, when, they, when they are not minors, uh, like in this case. Then, uh, homosexuality, male homosexuality, is associated with passivity, with passiveness. Right? This person uh, enters uh, into, into sexual intercourse as a passive partner. And there was one case uh, related to, uh, uh, to, to a murder of a lesbian woman, and there uh, sexuality was uh, communicated as an active Thing. So her sexuality as a lesbian sexuality, it was active. She, she was active. She, uh, I remember <coughs> she, she possessed a knife, and she, uh, her hobby was fishing. So that's a uh, kind of hint uh, that uh, a person is a lesbian, because she, she's a girl, but she fishing. Uh, here it's uh, passive, at uh, the age of 20, and yeah. Another important element is voluntariness, right, of, of, the, uh, of the sexuality. Uh, why? Because uh, if uh, it's not voluntary, it's a crime. Uh, finally, uh, I, I also want to explain more or less how I identified bias in, in these cases, right? And there are three, uh, three different uh, ways to identify bias in the, uh, in the court decisions. First of all, when judges speak about personal unpleasant feelings. This is one way 
uh, one expression of this bias, one form uh, in which the bias expresses itself. Uh, I quote, during this period of time and while drinking alcohol, the abused, name one, and the victim, name six, entered into a fight caused by suddenly emerged personal unpleasant feelings because of mutual alcoholic intoxication and non-traditional sexual orientation of name six. And during this fight, name one started to plot a plan uh, to plan a murder of name six, right? So personal unpleasant feelings uh, is a way to say hatred for, for, for the judges, right? Uh, the second case is when actually hatred is involved, right? Like here, the accused Tuvayev and Sarapkin committed beating uh, or battering, uh, which caused physical pain but did not cause consequences indicated in Article 115 of the Criminal Code, uh, they were motivated by hatred to any one social group. In the same time and place, Tuvayev learned uh, from the victim, Name One, that Name One was a person of non-traditional sexual orientation, a homosexual. And because of this, Tuvayev started to plot a criminal offense directed to damage of Name One's health. Further, in the same time and place, motivated by hatred uh, to persons with non-traditional sexual orientation, homosexuals, Tuvayev suggested to Name One to exit into the hall of the same apartment for a talk, and Name One agreed without knowing real intentions of Tuvayev. Right? So here, everything is clear. There is hatred, and the hatred is expressed towards anyone, social group, in particular to uh, homosexuals. Uh, uh, this is a clear-cut case. Finally, uh, uh, another uh, way of expression of, of the bias is uh, what is called in criminology special selection of the victim. Right? So the person uh, selects for his or her crime specifically uh, a member of LGBT community. Uh, like in this case, on certain date in the evening, the accused registered uh, in the social network Kontakte with a fictional name, Svitkov Stanislav, where he met with a guy with non-traditional sexual orientation named Eliza Blitzeva, the victim. Uh, he offered to his brother and Galievtsev to rob from his person if he uh, came to a meeting with them and had anything valuable with him, to which they agreed. I. Uh, wanted to show you this uh, because it's a kind of uh, ambiguous case, right? There, there is no violence involved, it's, it's a robbery. But a robbery of a very uh, specific victim, which is important for hate crime uh, theory, right? And, and, um, and legislation. Uh, a hate crime can be a robbery as well, like here, when uh, the perpetrators specifically select uh, victim from an unprivileged community. And uh, uh, they hope that those victims will not go to the police, right? They will not uh, report the crime because uh, they will be afraid of the consequences. So applying all those definitions, I came up with this preliminary uh, findings of the number of hate crimes uh, or uh, of the number of decisions that I regard as decisions on hate crimes against 
uh, LGBT people in Russia. This is a very simple descriptive statistics. Uh, and as you see, it shows that starting from 2013, the number of those crimes rises. And it goes to 2015. And as uh, I can already uh, more or less surely say, in 2016, the number is still higher than in 2015. So the trend uh, is still there. It's still active. It still continues uh, to the present. I also uh, uh, categorize those crimes in three different types. Uh, murder, violence not resulted in murder, and robbery. So that people who say robbery is not a hate crime can <coughs> get rid of, uh, of the robbery and uh, look only at the results of, say, murder or murder and violence. And still we have the same trend there, right? In 2013, the number rises, and it continues to rise uh, in 2015 and 16. Uh, are those numbers big, or are they small? Well, uh, the, the absolute numbers are relatively small. Oh, it's less than uh, around 10, less than 20, more than 20 murders in 2013, 14, 15, right? So not that big. So I wanted to uh, compare uh, those numbers with uh, numbers from somewhere else, like, for example, the United States of America, right? So mm, this is all very preliminary, but I want to uh, show you this comparison. Uh, so I invented this relational index of hate crimes, of murders more specifically, in, uh, uh, in different countries, and took Russia and the US uh, uh, for uh, comparison. Basically, it's the number of hate crimes or murders of gay and lesbian people divided into the number of population at that particular year uh, and multiply them uh, 100,000. And as you see, uh, in 2010, oh, look, in 2010, 11, and 12, the figures, the number, the resulting number is comparable, right? So uh, it's, well, it's a little bit. Uh, smaller here, but still not that much. Whereas in 2013, uh, 14 and 15, the difference is becoming uh, a lot more significant. Right? So uh, I guess it means two different things. Again, that the law and propaganda somehow works and affects uh, the situation of violence against LGBT people in Russia. This is one thing. And another thing that uh, the numbers that I get are might be trustworthy. We can uh, think of them as something, um, well, that does make uh, sense. Uh, one final thing, uh, as I summarized this previous research and, and uh, trying to, uh, to uh, kind of, uh, yeah, well, uh, bring together all the arguments that I could have there, is the uh, terms of 
imprisonment or periods of imprisonment uh, in the sentences on hate crimes. So uh, I compared uh, something that I called homosocial conflicts and uh, hate crimes uh, on the uh, periods of imprisonment in, in, in those two different cases. So homosocial conflicts are those cases that do not involve hatred towards uh, LGBT population, but still have more or less the same settings. Uh, a group of men is involved there, a lot of alcohol usually, then they start fighting with each other for whatever reason that is not related to uh, homosexuality, right? And one of them is, as a result, murder. Uh, hate crimes, in this case, only murders and only under Article 105, which is intentional uh, homicide, intentional murder, are more or less the same. Again, people drink a lot of vodka, and uh, one of the uh, comrades there says, you know, I'm a person of non-traditional sexual orientation, <laughs> and he's being killed. Right. Uh, so as you see, uh, in homosocial conflicts, the period of imprisonment is more than a year uh, smaller, more than a year uh, less uh, intensive, well, whatever. So uh, smaller than in, in hate crimes. And uh, <coughs> it means, I think, hypothetically two different things. One thing is that uh, judges uh, resist to the general situation of silencing hate crimes against LGBT people. They think, oh, no, uh, the persecution doesn't warn me, but I want to convict those people uh, under a hate crime without recognizing that it was a hate crime by giving a greater, a bigger sentence. This is one explanation. And another explanation is that those cases uh, that involve hate crime against LGBT people might be more uh, outrageous in, uh, in the forms of violence that is used there. And as an example, I give here this, uh, this quotation. Uh, so uh, on the 16th of February, 2014, late night, the accused was waiting for the victim to come out from the house of Z, where uh, they all previously had been drinking alcohol and motivated by personal unpleasant feelings to this person because of his offer to engage in sodomy, he hit his head four times with a nail puller, then he cut off his heart uh, with a knife and took it home, where he fried it and ate. This process he shot on his phone camera, making comments. So you see, the, uh, the level of violence involved in this particular case is uh, overwhelming, it's outrageous. Uh, the guy uh, ate someone's element of body, right, to, to, uh, to uh, I don't know for what, but because he was uh, so pissed off, right? Uh, maybe, yeah, be because of this level of violence, uh, the, uh, the perpetrators get larger uh, sentences. This is another hypothesis that is still needs to be 
uh, double checked through the data. Is it still an ongoing uh, process? And now I briefly turn to the second part, uh, which will be uh, much shorter uh, than the first part of this uh, of this talk, which is the continuation, the further the prospects of, of this research. And it, it also deals actually with this quotation, because when you read it and you understand the uh, level of violence involved in that case, uh, you start to think about the language uh, of judges that communicate uh, the uh, cause of that violence. As they say that the motive was personal unpleasant feelings. So, you know, it's, it's not the kind of word that you say to, uh, to, to give the settings of a crime that involves eating hearts and, and, and frying and, and, and things like that. Unpleasant feelings. Unpleasant feelings is when you, I don't know, step on a cat's uh, tail. It causes an unpleasant feeling because you worry about that thing. Uh, it's nice, it's puffy, but um, here, you know, the unpleasant feeling results in a murder, in an outrageous murder. So I thought that <coughs> probably there, there, is a, there is a way to, to regard those texts and analyze them on the, uh, on the uh, way they communicate, they talk about emotion. Right, emotions that result in uh, in uh, in murder. Uh, here, I don't have much to say yet, but just briefly tell you a couple of things that I have been uh, able to uncover in literature. So, first of all, emotions in law, emotions in politics is a very interesting uh, field of studies that is being developed recently, especially with. Uh, the uh, elections of Trump here, and uh, 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 elections of far-right parties in Europe that uh, people claim uh, have been motivated by this emotional attachment, emotional choice that people make uh, during elections. So emotions uh, matter more and more uh, every time in different interactions between people in elections in law in criminal situations as well. Uh, emotions in sociology are uh, well rooted in some classical works like Goffman, uh, where uh, you have management of emotions in interactions like Harley Horschild, where you have uh, uh, institutional norms related to emotions, and law and legal courts uh, do relate to those institutions, right? The, the uh, law and, and the courts are institutions where emotions are uh, uh, under, subjected to certain uh, very particular norms. And it is assumed that legal uh, settings, court settings, are places where emotions should not be expressed, right? And they are officially unemotional locations. Yet, as uh, sociologists of law uncovered, uh, judges do uh, take their decisions 
uh, emotionally. <coughs> they relate emotionally to the cases they review. So uh, there's a lot of emotion involved there. Uh, in my text, in the text that I analyze, I think that emotions, the ways to communicate emotions at least, is very uh, greatly instrumentalized. So uh, when judges choose between saying hate or personal unpleasant feelings, they actually already know uh, the, um, uh, the conviction. They, they, they know the sentence and they just uh, lead the narrative of their uh, legal decision, of their reasoning, to the particular finale, right? To, to the final point where uh, there is the conviction that, is, that obviously uh, results from uh, the choose of certain language uh, to, to communicate those emotions. So uh, I think they're uh, instrumentalized in this very uh, particular way. Yet, I don't know much yet about <coughs> it. Uh, this is the, a, a possible way to proceed and I think I will uh, leave it here, stop and open myself to your criticism. Thank you. <coughs>